This episode contains adult language and topics that may be disturbing for some listeners. Such topics include suicide, drug use, physical or sexual abuse of a child. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, I'm Grant. And I'm Erica. And this is From From Crime Crime to to Crime. Crime. Welcome back to From Crime to Crime. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Doing really well. I'm really excited to get into this case. Yeah, me too. Tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about two friends and one of their moms who went missing actually on the night that they graduated high school. I know this case. I don't know it extremely well, but I know kind of the ins and outs of it. And so I'm really looking forward to having you kind of tell it and refresh my memory on it again. Yeah. So like I said, it takes place on their graduation night. Did you go to your high school grad night? Yeah. Yeah, I did. It was kind of it was kind of weird. It was fine, but it was like Angel Stadium has like an underground area where like they had like different games and stuff like that to do. They got a hypnotist to come out and I was in the hypnotist show. It didn't work. But um <laughs> But you played along? <laughs> yeah, I did. I did. I totally did. It was like 3 a.m. What else was I going to yeah. do? Um, it was nothing special, but it was, it was a good time. Nice. That sounds fun. Did you guys have one? Yeah, we did. Did you go? Cause <laughs> you're not a big, you weren't a real involved, uh, school person. So I can't imagine you really went. I did go. Really? Yeah, I did. What'd you guys do? Well, my school made a big mistake and told us that it was going to be at the school before it was. Yours at was school? at the school and they told mm-hmm. you it was going to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like a Oof. bunch of inmates. We hit who's all over the place. <laughs> no, you didn't. Yeah. Yes. What? Mm-hmm. But it was actually really cool. Like, they did a really good job. They made it like a carnival type thing where they had, like, games and rides and stuff and, like, a dance floor. And I don't know. I don't remember that much of it. But Where did you hide booze? Well, I didn't hide booze, but people hid booze. You um, totally hid booze. No, I didn't. But literally everywhere. Like, they put them in Ziploc bags and then put them inside, like, the toilet seat covers in the girls' bathrooms. What? You know, like, the little thing that holds the toilet seat covers, like, behind that. You know, it's like a box. Yeah. Like, the behind yeah. the tank? Yeah, like, behind the, in the no. silver thing that holds the toilet seat covers. Yeah. Really? Oh, I see mm-hmm. what you mean. Oh, in the back of, like, those things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like it, underneath the trash bags, like in the girls' bathroom, like in the trash cans, underneath the trash bags. Oh my gosh, you guys! You guys were like a bunch of inmates. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. there was one or two kids who like tried to smuggle in Sudafed into my grad night. <laughs> Stupid! You can like, tell Grant went to private school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I said I certainly did. It's very much showing. But yeah, like. And he had to like put it in a plastic bag and like he smuggled it in like in between his butt cheeks or something. I don't know. Something really strange. I was like, one, that's not ever how I've been. And two, I was like, I'm not touching You're that. You're like, why are we taking cough medicine? <laughs> yeah. Maybe it wasn't it was something. And I mean, you can do something kind of weird with Sudafed, right? So I don't know. I think that's how they make meth, but I don't think anybody that went to your school was making meth with it. Well, not from their their butt Sudafed. <laughs> <laughs> no. So one time I left like a box of Zyrtec or Allegra. I don't remember. It was some allergy medicine in my glove box forever. 
And then when I moved and I bought a new truck, I like literally moved it from one truck to another truck. And then when I was cleaning out my truck, when I just sold it, I was like, oh my God, this box of Allegra expired in like 2006. My truck was a 2016. Oh that means I put God. a 10 year expired box of allergies <laughs> in my glove box. Uh, you're probably so anyways, saving it for I'm, grad night. You graduated in 2006. Yeah. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's how you make meth. You just leave allergy medicine in your glove box for 10 years. That's what they did on uh, Breaking Bad. I remember that. Yeah. And it's blue. I know that. I think Allegra's red. I meant the meth. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. And I remember I went to private school. So, Yeah. So this story starts in the summer of 1992, which, by the way, Achy Breaky Heart was number one on the charts when this was going down. <laughs> I knew you were going to be checking. I always check. That's such a weird thing that I do, but I always am like, what were people listening to? Oh, yeah. It's totally a weird thing that you do, but it's I the know. thing that you do, so we love Funniest it. Funniest thing about it, too, is I never check like the pop charts. I always check country charts. That's because Britney Spears wasn't big yet. Now, well, if we yeah. do one then, maybe you'll check. Maybe. So Susie Streeter was 19 years old and she worked an after school job at a movie theater and she lived at home with her mom, Cheryl Levitt, who was a hairdresser. Cheryl had just purchased a house on Delmar Street that her and Susie were living in. She had just bought it the February before and she was recently divorced and she was hoping to fix it up and sell it. She was kind of like handy. She also had a son named Bart who was nine years older than Susie, but he wasn't living at home at the time. Bart, huh? You don't hear Bart yeah. too often. Yeah. At this point in time, it's just Susie and Cheryl living at the house. And then Stacy McCall, who was 18, she was a really good student in high school. And in the fall, she was going to be going to Missouri State University. And her and Susie had known each other since like the second grade, but they'd kind of grown apart a little bit in their teen years, but they still had a lot of mutual friends and they spent a lot of time together during their senior week. They were being nostalgic and stuff like that, and they were spending a lot of time together because some of them were going away to college and some of them weren't. Like, Susie was planning on becoming a hairdresser like her mom, and Stacy was planning on going to college. At a state or, like, around? No, at Missouri State, but okay. still, some people were going away to college, so they were just spending a lot of time with their friend group, you know, the last week of high school. Sure. So on June 6, 1992, they attended their high school graduation from Kickapoo High School. Their school hosted a grad night. They would have been locked in and not let out until like 8 o'clock the next day. But the girls were like, no thanks, because they had a bunch of parties that they wanted to go to. So they opted out of the grad night at their school. They could have been hiding booze in the toilet seat cover. Yep. But instead they didn't. Is that a good move or a bad move? We'll find out next. Oh, well, obviously it was a bad move, Grant. They're on our podcast. Oh, yeah. That's probably a good point. <laughs> yeah. So they planned to go to these parties around Springfield, and then they were supposed to go to Branson, Missouri, which is like a half hour away, and stay in a motel that night that was close to a water park that they were going to go to the next day with a bunch of friends. By 10 o'clock, though, the girls had changed their minds on the motel. Stacy had called her mom and told her that they were having a lot of fun at all these parties and they didn't want to drive to Branson. And so they decided to stay overnight at their friend Janelle Kirby's house. Her mom was kind of relieved, like, oh, thank God they're not going to drive to Branson and stay in a hotel. Yeah, this is 92. This is, this is still a lawless land. Mm-hmm. 
But later on that night, though, plans changed again because when they went to Janelle's house, it was full because she had family in town for her graduation and all that stuff. So if they stayed at Janelle's house, they would all have to sleep on the floor. So they decided, nah, let's just go to Susie's house and spend the night at Susie's and then we'll go to the water park in the morning. That doesn't sound fun at all. I've never been a big fan of water parks. Yeah, water parks are kind of gross, but that's beside the point. In 1992, they didn't know that. (laughs) They didn't know about germs back then. No, it was lawless. They had no idea. Yeah. They had no COVID or anything. Oh, what a time to be alive. Yep. So earlier that night, Cheryl, Susie's mom, had been on the phone with her sister around 10 or 11, and she was refinishing a dresser and then heading to bed. And her sister said she seemed totally normal. Everything was totally fine. When Susie and Stacy are done at Janelle's, they leave her house at like 2 a.m. in separate cars and they head back to Susie's house. And they told Janelle, we'll call you in the morning and then we'll head to the water park. The next morning, Janelle wakes up and she's super excited to go to the water park and she wakes up early and she doesn't hear anything from Stacy and Susie. So she's waiting a little bit and then eventually she calls Susie's house and there's no answer. So she's like, oh, okay. She thinks they're sleeping in or whatever because they were all up late. By like noonish, she's like, okay, guys, this is ridiculous. So her and her boyfriend, Mike, go over to Susie's house to see what's going on. Are we going to the water park or what? Noon, yeah. I mean, I don't think I'd wait that long. Yeah. That's a pretty long time. Yeah. So when they get there, all three cars are there. Stacy and Susie's were parked in the circle driveway in front of the house, and Cheryl's was in the carport like on the side of the house. Right, okay. When they walk up the front steps, they noticed broken glass all over the porch, and they realized it was from the globe, like around the porch light had broken. Mm. Well, at the time, they didn't think anything weird. So Mike grabbed a broom that was on the porch, and he swept it up because Janelle was barefoot, and he didn't want her to cut her feet. So he just kind of like swept up all the glass and then dumped it in the bushes or over the fence or whatever. <laughs> over the fence? I hope not. But yeah. I mean, this is the chivalrous thing to do, but I yeah. guess true crime wasn't a big thing yet. We know we would know now not to mess with a, you know, a crime scene like that. But they didn't know it was a crime scene. All three of the women's sure. cars were there, so they assumed they were oh, just I, inside and sleeping. I totally get it. Like he thinks he did the right thing. Yeah. Like, that's he's a nice guy. Yeah. So they knock on the door and nobody answers and after a couple of minutes they realize the door's unlocked. So they go inside and start looking around and hollering for the girls and nothing really looked that weird. Everything was like in its place, but they felt really awkward, which I'm sure you would walking into somebody else's house, like especially if they weren't home. Yeah, I feel a little awkward form right now. I mean, just walking in, but yeah. And so they checked, you know, through the house. Nobody answered. They kind of looked in the bedrooms. Nobody was in there and they checked in the backyard and nobody was in the backyard. So they thought, well, maybe they're running an errand or maybe they went to the water park with somebody else. Like, I don't know. So they decide they're going to leave because they're like a little bit awkward in the house. Sure. And when they're walking out, the house phone rings. So they didn't find anything in the house other than like the broken globe outside. Like everything else was just normal stuff. Yeah. So the house phone rings and Janelle answers it because she's like, well, what if it's Susie and Stacy? Like, what if they're somewhere and they need a ride or or they're calling to say where they are so she answers the phone which is so wild that back in in the day when it was like house phones like just willy-nilly you could be calling somebody and anybody could answer i'm trying to remember i guess i don't really think we answer each other's house phones right like i don't remember oh doing i did that. yeah 
Yeah, like if I was if I was at my grandparents' house and the phone rang, I'd answer oh, it. Oh, or... well, that, yeah. I mean, that kind of stuff, sure. But like at a friend's house, like they are, would you just answer the phone? I feel like if I was good enough friends with them, yeah. Yeah, I guess that's true. Because you would just take a message. Like if it was, if they were asking for somebody who wasn't there, you would just say, oh, they're not here right now. Can I take a message? Like I remember doing that. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I kind of remember doing that too. All right. I know. But it's just weird to think about now because like cell phones, when you call somebody, you're calling that specific person. Like you didn't used to call like a number that like anybody could answer. And then you would have to ask yeah. for that person. Like, yeah, that's crazy. you can generally not always, but typically when you call that person, you can generally tell who they're with, too, or you already know. So, you know, if they right. don't answer, you can you know, it's their significant other or their you know sibling or mom, whatever. So, OK. Yeah. So anyway. That's beside the point. She answers the phone, and it was not Susie or Stacy on the other line. It was a boy, and he was saying very obscene things. Oh, that's not a good sign. Yeah, so she hangs up because she thinks it's like a prank phone call, and Susie had told her in the past that she'd had trouble with prank phone calls. And so she hangs up, and they start to walk out the door, and the phone rings again. So she answered it again, and the same guy said, gross shit again. So she just hung up the phone, and they left. Do we know what gross stuff he said? I mean, I've always heard very lewd things as well, but I've never heard specific details. No. Gotcha. I've never heard details. About this time, Stacy's mom, Janice, starts calling Janelle's house because she hadn't heard from Stacy and wanted to know when they were going to Branson. Because she was supposed to be going wedding dress shopping with her other daughter. And so she wanted to know where Stacy was and all this stuff. And Janelle's little sister let her know that late the night before plans changed and the girls went to Susie's instead of staying there. Hmm. So Stacy's mom's a little bit irritated that Stacy didn't call her and tell her that she was staying somewhere else. But she figured the reason she didn't call her was because it was two in the morning when the plans changed. Right. So... She's a little irritated, but she's like, okay, well, I guess they probably went to the water park without calling me and telling me that they were going. So she went wedding dress shopping with her other daughter, and it was getting later and later in the day, and she still hadn't heard from Stacy. So she tracked down Susie's house phone number because she didn't have it because they had just moved in. And so when she finally got the house phone number for Susie's house, she called. Nobody answered. So around 530 that night when she still hadn't heard from Stacy, she was starting to get really upset. So she went to Susie's house on Del Mar Street. And when she got there, she saw the same thing that Janelle and Mike had seen. She saw all three cars in the driveway. So at first she was kind of like relieved, like, okay, yeah. at least she's here. But then... She knocked on the door. Nobody answers. And around this time, Janelle and her boyfriend, Mike, and some other friends and family start coming back over because they hadn't heard from them either. When Janice went through the front door, she noticed some other stuff that bothered her that Janelle and Mike didn't notice before. Like what? Well, it looked like the girls had made it home the night before. No problem because all the cars were there and the beds looked slept in and there was rags with makeup on them in the bathroom like they had taken their makeup off when they got home. But Stacy's clothes that she was wearing the day before were neatly folded and sitting on top of her shoes on Stacy on Susie's dresser. Hmm, that is weird for sure because nobody does that. What do you mean? Folds their clothes from the day before and puts them like neatly folded on top of their shoes. Nobody does that. Yeah, you do. If you're staying the night at somebody else's house, hell yeah, you uh, do. 
Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Fair You're enough. a boy. You do weird things. Girls would do that for sure. Eh, we just wear the same thing the whole weekend. So, well, I'm sure she was planning on wearing the same thing the next day, too, because the only thing missing from her clothing was her T-shirt and her underwear. So it makes sense. She took the rest of her clothes off to go to bed, folded them up, and put them on her shoes on top of the dresser. All right. Her jewelry was even in the pockets of her shorts, like she had taken her jewelry off and then went to bed in her T-shirt and underwear, which is totally what you would do if you were spending the night at a friend's house. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. The other thing that Janice noticed that was a little off was that all three women's purses were lined up next to each other, sitting on the floor next to each other. That's weird too, right? Like, I mean, I've never had my own purse, but I don't, unless it's like a party or something, girls don't really put their purses like lined up together, do they? No, you would think that Cheryl's would be like in her room and Susie's in her room, or maybe they would all be on the dining room table or something, but... No, all three women's purses were together, and it alarmed Janice because their wallets, their IDs, everything was there. Cheryl even had, like, hundreds of dollars of cash in her wallet because she's a hairdresser. Yeah. But the big banger was that Cheryl and Susie's cigarettes were still there in their purses, their cigarettes and their lighters. And according to almost everybody that knows these people, they describe Cheryl as a chain smoker. Her son said that if she woke up and went from her bedroom to the living room, she had her cigarettes with her. Yeah, I could see that. 92. That makes sense. Inside the house. Lawless land. That All yeah. tracks. All tracks. Yeah. But the point is, is that she, it was pretty unlikely that she would leave her house without her purse, let alone without her smokes. Yeah, no doubt about that. Yeah. I mean, I don't even smoke in my house and I wouldn't leave my house without my cigarettes, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. So now we're getting worried. Uh, The family dog Cinnamon was there also. According to everybody, Cinnamon seemed a little bit frazzled. Janelle described it as Cinnamon wanting her to hold him like he just seemed out of sorts. This dog saw stuff. Yeah. So this is strange to say the least. Janice decided to call the police, and by the time the police show up, there's like 10, 12 people in the house oh. and around the house. There goes the crime scene. Yeah. Family, friends, people who've been trying to get a hold of the women and can't. Janice had even listened to the messages on Cheryl's answering machine to see if there was any clues on where the women went in her messages. And somehow after listening to them, they got it like if you don't save them, they get deleted. And so everyone agrees there was like a strange message from a man, but nobody can remember what it says. And it wasn't the same vulgar one that Janelle talked to, but it's gone. So now there's no way to know what it was. Mm, man. Yeah. And maybe maybe that wouldn't have helped us at all, but at least having the option would have been nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the police did try to trace the calls, but they were unable to because this is 92 and there was all kinds of stuff back then about (laughs) you had to be on the line for an hour for them to be able to trace it. Really? Yeah, you had to be on the phone for a certain amount of time for them to be able to trace it. And both calls that Janelle answered were too short to trace. And I guess the ones with the messages were too short, too. Yeah. How are you supposed to keep somebody on the phone for an hour? I, it Especially. wasn't. An, it's usually a few minutes, but oh. I exaggerate a little bit. Oh, I forgot that you did that. Yeah, it's more funny if you just laugh at the hour thing. If you would have got the joke, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Damn. I I thought you were serious. 
I'm I'm Why gullible. would I be Grant, you've seen movies. It's like keep them on the phone for a minute. Keep them on the phone for two minutes. Like Yeah, you're totally right. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, come on. Yeah, it's that I'll give it all right. This one's on me. This one's on me. All right. So the police do what they can to process this crime scene, but they come up with almost nothing because there's a zillion people in and out and it's it's been cleaned up, so to speak. Sure. Not intentionally, just out of not knowing. The only thing that the police come up with is that someone came to the house, either somebody that they knew and they went with them willingly, or if it was somebody they didn't know, it would have had to have been multiple people or a person with a weapon or a ruse. But either way, the girls left the house that morning at some point between 2 a.m. and noonish when Janelle and her boyfriend came. Totally. And they left in just what they were wearing to bed. All three of them, too. And it doesn't look like there's a sign of a struggle. So it's got to be somebody they know. Well, that's why one of the theories is if it's somebody they know or if it wasn't somebody they know, it would have had to have been somebody with a weapon or a ruse. Yeah. Or multiple people to be able to corral multiple women. But they're pretty convinced that they left in just what they were wearing to bed because Stacy's clothes were folded on the dresser and the only thing missing was her shirt and her underwear. Yeah, no, I think that makes total sense. I mean, nobody really talks about the fact that she could have borrowed a pair of pajama pants from Susie. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I see what you're saying. But Stacy's mom and all their friends and families had flyers made with the girls' pictures on them, all three of the girls, you know, boom, boom, boom. And they plastered them all around Missouri. They had billboards made. They went on news stations. The media grabbed a hold of this right away because it was very unusual for three women to just vanish out of their beds in the middle of the night. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So immediately, the media dubbed them the Springfield Three, like almost right away. It's very catchy. Yeah. So the police used helicopters, cadaver dogs, search teams. They dragged lakes. They searched wooded areas of the Ozarks, like they did a lot in the very beginning of this case to try to find these women. But it's been 30 years coming up this summer and they've never been seen or heard from again. That's insane. Yeah, and there have been a few possible sightings of them, but nothing's ever been confirmed. Like a waitress from Susie and Cheryl's like favorite diner says that she remembers all three girls coming in that night, the night that they went missing, sometime between 1 and 3 a.m., but nobody else in the restaurant remembers seeing them. So mm. it's like... Eh. And why would they have gone in and did, was there anybody... Does the waitress say anybody else was with them or... No. Nope, just them three and they ate and left. Which is totally possible. Maybe Susie and, and Stacy got home from Janelle's at 2 a.m. and Cheryl wasn't expecting them to come home, but heard them and got up and was like, oh, what are you girls doing? You know, and then maybe they all decided they were hungry and they went to the 24-hour diner. And then something happened after they came back home. Right, like it could happen. Okay, I can, yeah, I can believe that. So another lady came forward like a month after the disappearance and said that... The night of the disappearance, she saw a girl who looked like Susie pull into her driveway in a van, and it looked like she'd been crying, and then she heard a man's voice from the back of the van say something like, don't do anything stupid, just back it out and get us out of here. Oh, wow. She says that she waited a month to come forward because 
she didn't know about the girls being missing when this happened. And then when she saw the flyer, or the billboard or whatever, she recognized Susie Streeter as being the driver of that weird thing that she saw in her driveway a month before. Am I being overdramatic to saying like, I would think I would probably call the cops in that situation too. Like a girl no. crying, a dude yelling at her to not do anything stupid and get them out of it. I feel like I would report that. No, am I is that? Am I too much there? No, I th- I would have too. I I thought that was weird too. Okay. I was like, well, this seems like a girl who saw this on the news and was like, I want to be involved. Okay. I I thought the same thing. I was like, if you saw that in your driveway, why wouldn't you call nine one one right away? Even if you didn't know that the that there was women missing. Exactly. That just sounds like a bad situation for somebody, nonetheless. So that sighting's never been confirmed either, but the police didn't have a lot to go on, so they kind of went with that for a while. Mm. And they even purchased a van that was the same make and model, this lady said, and they painted it the same color, she said, and they parked it out in front of the police station for, like, months and was like, hey, have you ever seen a van that looks like this? Like, they made a big deal about it, trying to find that van, and nothing ever came of it. I remember that now that you've said that. I I do remember that happening or hearing about that, and... Mm. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a, I mean, I get why they did it, but it's a very 1992 thing to do, right? Like, yeah. like no one's doing that now, I don't think. Although, I guess we can just post a picture of, and, like, pass it around a lot faster. Yeah. So, that's pretty much it. There hasn't been a lot in 30 years. I mean, there's a lot of theories, but there's not a lot of sightings or information or anything. It's crazy that people can just vanish into thin air, especially then, and... It's just that it is what it is. No, nothing else, nothing else seen, nothing else heard from. Now, you know, honestly, there's cameras everywhere all the time. Right. Not that people still don't go missing because they absolutely do. But like from a neighborhood, like if this happened nowadays, there'd be neighbors with ring doorbell cameras. Exactly. Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if they didn't have one, then probably somebody on their street would. And then we'd have a timeline. We'd have. Yeah, totally. All right, well, let's go to our favorite land, which is, of course, Theoryland. What are the theories on this one? Well, I guess they could be endless because we don't know, but like, the, there's really like three main theories. One of the first suspects in this case was Bart Streeter, which is Cheryl's son and Susie's brother. Bart was nine years older than Susie. He was not really on speaking terms with his mom and sister when this all went down. Because he had kind of a drinking problem. And when he was 17, Cheryl was sick of it. And she was like, you need to stop. You need to live by my rules or get the hell out, you know? Yeah. So he got the hell out because he didn't want to live by her rules. So he moved out when he was 17 and he didn't come back for a long time. And then he, like 10 years later, he did move home. But he was still drinking and kind of running amok, so Cheryl kicked him out again, pretty much, was like, you need to go find another place to live. And so he went and got his own place, and Susie actually moved out with him. Like, she was still in high school, but she was 18. Oh, wow. Yeah, so her and Bart got got a place together, got an apartment or a house or something. They rented a place together. But his drinking was causing them to fight a lot, too. Mm. And... There's a lot of rumors that one of these fights turned into like a physical altercation between her and her brother, and it made her move back home with her mom. When she did, her and Cheryl like cut ties with, they were just like, we're done with your shit till you stop drinking. 
we don't want to have anything to do with you. It's a hard choice to make. And that was three months before their disappearance. So that doesn't look super good. But Bart was really cooperative with the police. You know, he answered all their questions. He came down to the station right away. His story has never changed about what he was doing that night. He admits that he was drinking with his girlfriend and some friends, and they all vouch for that, and that he was passed out drunk by 11 p.m. and had nothing to do with it. Mm. Wow. Well, And it seems like the police kind of believe him. But suspicion has always, like, surrounded him for years. But he even, I mean, he took a polygraph test and he passed, but eh, that doesn't, doesn't mean, mean a touch. Much, yeah, <laughs> doesn't mean a ton. Yeah. He's always maintained the same story. He's always, like, been involved. He, You know, like, he's he's definitely suspicious to some people, but it seems like he didn't have that much to do with it. No. I, I mean, and honestly, with how drunk it sounds like he got, I mean... Him passing out by 11 sounds pretty, pretty reasonable. Yeah. Some people's argument for that, to play devil's advocate, is that he could have passed the lie detector test because he was so drunk he doesn't remember doing something to his oh. mom and sister. But it's like, if you were that drunk. Yeah, that's that. you get sloppy real quick. Yeah, you're going to leave some kind of evidence. You're going to make a scene. Yeah, you know, it's not totally. like three women are going to walk outside with you wasted on the front porch and just get in your car. You know, like there's going to be <laughs> yeah. a scene. Yeah, I would think. Yes, yeah, that one doesn't seem likely. No, not to me either. But a lot of people do throw that in there. And he was pretty big in the beginning. Another person of interest that came up a little bit in the beginning was a guy named Dustin Reckla, who was Susie's ex-boyfriend. She worked with him at the movie theater, but he was her ex-boyfriend for a pretty good reason. What was that reason? So apparently he had used Susie's car with a friend of his named Michael Clay to go out and do some grave robbing. Oh, what? Yeah. What? Yeah. Oh, you weren't kidding. That is a good reason to make him an ex-boyfriend. Wow. Why on earth? Well, why on earth was because they took gold fillings out of the skulls. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And then they they not only went to a pawn shop and sold the gold fillings to the pawn shop for money, they actually took the skulls from the graveyard and took them to a local park and set them up in the bushes of a local park where kids found them the next day. Oh, my God. So this dude dug up caskets, <laughs> took so, gold teeth to pawn shops, and put skulls, legitimate human skulls, in trees for kids to find? Yes. But also technically no, because they didn't dig anything up. They broke into mausoleums. Oh, I thought a mausoleum just was where ashes went. No, you could be in a casket in a mausoleum. Oh, see, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, there's a lot of people that are, like, buried with their husband and wife together, and, like, one of them is cremated and one of them isn't, and they're both in the in the mausoleum. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So, technically, they didn't dig any graves, but they robbed graves. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's still terrible yeah. and just as bad. Oh, it's horrible. It's just less time. And super disrespectful. Yeah. And also, this is like 1992, you guys. Like, satanic panic's real, man. Go ask those boys in West Memphis. <laughs> yeah. Like, you're yeah. going to go to jail for this. Yeah, no kidding. So, yeah. 
he was in jail during this time, right? Like, there's no way he's out and could have done this? Oh, no, no, no. He was out. So okay. when Susie discovered this whole, like, thing that happened with the grave robbing, she cooperated with the police. And she broke up with Dustin. And she was like, hey, this is what happened. But she didn't know about it before it happened. She found out after. But then she cooperated with the police. And she was set to testify against them in trial. Good. A few months later. Oh, so the trial had this had just happened with the grave robbing, like right before the girls went missing. So he's probably out on bail then, right? Right. So they're not in jail or anything. They're awaiting things. So Dustin's alibi was that he was also passed out drunk. Not really that good of an alibi. No, not really. And also, why is everybody wasted in this town? (laughs) I'm like, why is everybody's alibi that they're fucking drunk? Jesus. Is that just like what you do in June? You're like, oh, June is the drunk month. I mean, I think it has to do with where they are. There's just not a lot to do but graduate high school and get drunk. Yeah, but it's like some of these people, like Bart was like 29. Some people never find their footing. I'm just like, geez, guys, why is everybody wasted all the time? So anyway, that's not a great alibi to have. And his friend Michael Clay that he did this with had like zero alibi. So when the men are brought down to the station to answer like some questions about the disappearance, because they're like, hey, um, this girl that's supposed to testify against you uh, is now missing. Uh, do you have anything to say about that? Michael Clay made some comment like, I wish those bitches were dead. Oh, wow. Like, okay. Hey, so this dude. That's did not it. great. This guy did it. Okay. Uh, well, we don't know that. But he was saying bad stuff like that. But they were also denying that they were involved in their disappearance at all. But neither one of them have ever been able to be ruled out as persons of interest. So, well, rule them in on my end. No shit. We'll wait till you hear the last one, though. Okay. So the last suspect we're going to talk about, there's other suspects, like just shitty people who lived in the area, but there's nothing to like really connect them to it, you know? Uh Uh-huh. But the last one, which is I saved it for last because you're going to love this one. This guy's name is Robert Craig Cox, and he became a suspect when a girl named Sharon Zeller's brother called in a tip to the Springfield police. And they were like, well, who's Sharon Zellers and why is her brother calling us about this guy? So they started looking into it, right? Yeah. Robert Cox was an army ranger. And in 1978, so years before this happened. Right. He graduated from boot camp for, I don't know, army ranger school. And his parents were like, oh, congratulations. And they took him on a trip to Florida to celebrate him graduating boot camp. And... While they were there in Florida, his mommy had to take him to the ER because he came back to their motel room one night covered in blood and missing half of his tongue. Oh, um, what? Wait. Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he told the ER doctors that he had bit his own tongue off. Like he was in a fight with somebody uh-huh. and he bit his own tongue off. Okay. But- When they were doing the surgery and stuff to obviously, I don't know what they did, like sewed it up. I don't know. Did he come with the tongue? No. But they could tell from the curve of the wound that it was bitten off by somebody else, not by himself. Like, you know, the shape of your teeth? Yeah. It it was backwards. Oh. So they were like, that's that story doesn't line up, but. Whatever they're doctors, where they they're like, well, it's not our problem. Somebody bit his tongue off. You oh know? my god! Mm-hmm. 
So then, a few days later, Sharon Zellers, who was a 19-year-old girl who lived in the area, went missing on her way home from work Ooh. at Disney World. Sorry, but... And... Have you ever thought about few, actually what it would take to bite half of your tongue off? Oh. No. 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 Oh, it sounds terrible. I don't know that it's possible unless you're, like, rolling on something, but whatever. Yeah, I don't know. So, a few days after... This whole tongue incident, they found the badly beaten body of Sharon Zellers, who was a 19-year-old girl who had gone missing on her way home from work at Disney World. The same night that Robert Cox ended up in the ER with the whole tongue situation, she had gone missing that night. Oh. And her badly beaten body was found at a sewage facility like a couple hundred feet from Robert Cox's hotel room. So obviously oh, they were wow. like, hey, yeah, we got a question or 20. But he answered all the questions and they didn't really have any evidence that he was like involved. So he went back to California and continued to be an army ranger for a while. And so seven years later in 1985, he's convicted of two separate attempted abductions. Oh and he's God. sent to prison for nine years. While he's in prison serving this nine year sentence... They finally indict him for Sharon Zeller's murder. They're finally like, look, we're taking this to trial. He obviously killed her. Yeah, thank goodness. You know. Did they ever match, like, do a teeth marking match to his tongue? No, because there was no records of that. Oh, okay. So they finally take him to trial. He's convicted and sentenced to death. So that's a win. Yeah. But then in 1989, on appeal, the Supreme Court of Florida threw out his conviction and said that there was only a, quote, suspicion of guilt, unquote. And they said no. And they threw it out and he was released. How did he get released? Well, he was released back to the state of California to finish out his first sentence, the uh, first nine year sentence. But he was he was released of Sharon's murder. Like he was acquitted. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, yeah. What? So what's going yeah. on here? You need to talk to a manager. It gets better. All right. So after he goes back to California, he finishes out his nine year sentence for the other abductions. He is paroled in 1992, which is when our story takes place, right? Yep, that's what I was thinking. And he moves home to live with his parents in Springfield, Missouri. Okay. All right. Things are lining up a little too well. Yeah. So Sharon Zeller's family, who keeps track of him because he killed their sister. Fair. They hear that he moves back to Springfield after he's paroled, blah, 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 blah. Well, then they hear about the Springfield Three. So they are the ones who call in the tip about Robert Cox. So that's kind of cool of them to keep track of him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So Robert Cox has another connection to the women, too, that they find out later. Stacy, her dad worked at a local car dealership and Robert Cox was a mechanic there. So there's like that weird connection too. But they don't think that he knew her. Yeah. Or I was that he say. saw her. But still it's a weird connection. So Yeah. So at the time of the disappearance, Robert Cox worked for the utility companies. So he would have had a uniform and a work truck and Oh, good point. All of that if he decided to use that as a ruse. Yeah. I never thought about that, but yeah, you're right. That's a So they bring Cox in and they ask him questions and he says that he spent the night at his parents' house, which 
he was spending the night with his parents in a motel when he killed Sharon Zeller. So I don't think that's a great alibi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he then says that the next morning he went to church with his girlfriend. So they talked to the girlfriend and she cooperated that story. Like she's like, yep, mm -hmm. we went to church. So they back burner Robert Cox. They're just like, okay, you know, I get he's got a fucking alibi. Just like everybody else. Yeah. At least he wasn't drunk. <laughs> so in 1995, so a couple years later, Robert Cox was arrested in Texas for holding a gun on a 12 year old girl during a robbery. Uh, what? Because this guy's like a piece of shit. Like, yeah. this is obvious at this point. So the cops go to his ex girlfriend, the one that they had interviewed, and she said they went to church. After yeah. he's arrested in Texas for this other shit, they go to back to her and she admits that they didn't go to church that day, that he had made her lie to them for him. Uh well, we all kind of saw yeah. it coming. So he's back at the top of the list because they're like, Okay, well he wasn't at church. It's like you guys pretty much knew he wasn't at church. Like, <laughs> right. The Springfield police start interviewing him in a Texas prison where he's being held because of that whole holding a gun on a 12 year old thing. And he fucks with the cops. Like he says shit like, I know they're dead and that's all I know. But if I had done it, a utility emergency would be what I would use as a ruse. And like when he's pressed on how he knows they're dead, he says he'll tell them when his mother dies. And he says he knows they're buried near Springfield. Oh my gosh. So this guy did it for sure. Well, he's sick. So he could just want attention, you know, and he knows yeah. it's a good way to get it. Or he could very well have done this. How old is his mom? I don't know. But she is still alive. Hmm. Let's see if I can figure it out. Because that's quick. the first question everybody asks in every interview ever. They're like, what's, is his mom? And it's like, yeah, she's still alive. He says that he won't say anything while she's alive either because he doesn't want to bring any more embarrassment to her. Well, I mean. But he says all kinds of shit like he knows where they're buried you know like he just toys with the cops and with the media but it's like he's an asshole so he could just be like well i'm bored in jail so i'm gonna make them think that i did this so that i get attention <laughs> yeah i guess you know what i mean yeah no i get what you're saying yeah but he could have very well done it too i think so. he probably i mean i don't know both of those last two really give you a really solid idea that they probably maybe had something to do with it. I'm trying to figure out this guy's mom's age, by the way. It's not as easy as you'd hope. Yeah, I didn't even look it up because I'm like, I don't want to wish that lady to die just so that we could find out the truth. No, I don't want her to die. I'm just curious. Because I really think he's lying. I just, I think he just wants attention. I think he's a little... So what's your theory on this and what do you think happened? I don't know. I really don't have, like, something that I think is more likely than something else. There's just nothing. I get what you're saying, and, and I understand that, but do either of these theories make the most sense to you or any sense to you? Yeah. I mean, I think the abduction thing, like, if it was Robert Cox, I think he randomly saw them. Like, either he was out looking for a victim or two victims or whatever he was doing. And he came across Susie and Cheryl or Susie and Stacy on their way home. And he followed them home and then used his gas company ruse. Or maybe they did go to that restaurant and eat after they had gotten home. And maybe somebody saw them at that restaurant and followed them home. I had a theory I was going through, but then I remember that the mom's a chain smoker and she wouldn't have just left her purse behind with her cigarettes. No. So 
Because I was what think, was your theory? Well, I was I was just starting to think that maybe he was like hiding in the like the dark or something, and they did go out to the restaurant to eat. And when they came back, because you know she had all that cash on her, maybe she just grabbed a handful of cash. They went out. And then when they walked up, he broke that light to stun them. So you know, but then what's he gonna do? Like three stunned women, you know, like unless. He subdues them very quickly, very efficiently. Like, yeah, that's not it's not going to fly. No, I think if it was Robert Cox or really if it was anybody that the ruse would have had to have been like if it was Robert Cox, he would be wearing his uniform and have his work truck or whatever. And he would knock on their door in the middle of the night and say, look, you have a gas leak and you need to get out of here immediately. You've got to come with me. I mean, you probably would go. Yeah, you probably would. If somebody from the gas company was telling you there was a gas leak and you need to get out of your house right this second. Yeah. Like, you probably would. Yeah, you probably would, but would you get in the car with them? I mean, Although, I guess if you nowadays, get in... probably not. But if they get you outside but... and he's got a gun or something, then, I mean, it's pretty easy. That's like... what I'm saying, yeah. yeah. Or if anybody did that, if somebody broke the globe on the front porch just to to get them to open up the front door, like, what the hell just happened? And then they had a gun. Yeah. They could have got them to leave with them by force. You know, like, come on, let's go. Just for, And for the record for anybody, I'm pretty sure the fire department would come to your door if there was a gas issue, not the gas company. So I don't know that for sure, but that's my guess. So unless there's a fire truck, don't go outside, allegedly. I feel like I don't know if I want to argue with that or not. That sounds right. I think it is. Well, because I know like when we lived in Anaheim Hills, I mean, it wasn't gas leaks, but every time we got evacuated for fires, it was always the fire department, but that's fire. But I still think that if it was a gas problem, I think the firefighters would come and check it out first. But I feel like whenever you're evacuated for any reason, it's usually the fire department. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really thinking the gas companies lining up to, you know, emergency evacuate people. (laughs) But, you know, if you get woken up in the middle of the night. Oh, I I understand completely. I'm yeah. just, you know, pre-warning people. I'm like 90% sure that it's the fire department that's coming to get you, not the gas company. So if this has, if this is to happen to you, don't go. I don't think. Use your best judgment. <sighs> yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you should tell people not to go either. That's why I said <laughs> allegedly. <house> up. <laughs> allegedly, you shouldn't go. <laughs> See, that's why ruses suck, because sometimes they're good. Like, if they, if this person did use a ruse like that, it probably would work. I could see it. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like the broken front porch light has to have something to do with something. I think it has. It plays some kind of point in the story. I don't know what. It doesn't seem to really add up, but I think it's the, it might even be the missing part. Like once you realize why it's broken, maybe the other pieces line up. Maybe not, but it could. Yeah. But what's weird about it is that the light was, it's not like somebody busted out the light to make the porch dark. The light wasn't broken, just the globe around the light. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does, which, I mean, who knows? Maybe it was screwed in incorrectly and too many times- It just fell down. Yeah, the door closed too many times and knocked it down. That's completely plausible. Yeah, like maybe it was not connected at all- Totally. To this. It just happened to happen, yeah. Could totally be it, for sure. Or it's graduation night and apparently everybody in this town is fucking wasted drunk. So <laughs> maybe kids were going around smashing front porches. Yeah. Lights, I don't know. Yeah. You, something. I mean, in like Dazed and Confused, didn't they do that with mailboxes and stuff? Um, I guess. I don't know that I've seen that. But um, yeah. I don't know that I am thinking of the right movie either. But 
because you know how good I am with movies. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll ask my friend David. He always he knows everything about the movies, and he always he listens. Yeah, he's he a big always fa- cracks us. Well, he's a big fan of the podcast, and so he'll like let me know that that we screwed something up or you know that I offended him in some way because I didn't. We should know. just send David our episodes every week before we upload them. He would love that. And then he could like write us back and be like, hey, you're going to sound like a real idiot if you say this. He has a degree in, um, I think it's film production. So, I mean, we're pretty much a film minus the you know moving parts. So he could probably edit us. David, you've got the job. Well, he doesn't even have to like edit us. Just like listen to it and then be like, hey, he could be like our resident fact checker. David, you're hired. Congratulations. The, the position doesn't pay a whole lot, but um, I've got a box in my living room with a shirt and cup and some stickers and pens waiting for you. So accept the position and you'll get your care package. <laughs> I've been meaning to send it to him for like three months. Well, maybe you should just take it to him. Yeah. No, I, I could do that too. Doesn't for sure. he live somewhere near where you live? Yeah, not too far. Yeah. Okay, so... That's the story of the Springfield Three. So it's a shitty one, and there's lots of suspects, and we have no idea what happened to these women. They just literally vanished. I can't believe it's just still unsolved. Out of their beds in the middle of the night. Yeah, I just can't believe it's still unsolved. You know, like when people say, like, oh, people don't just vanish out of their beds in the middle of the night. It's like, certainly they do. Sometimes they do. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Don't forget to leave us a five-star rate and review or follow us on our Instagram at From Crime to Crime. You can find us on YouTube. We're wherever you get your podcast, Twitter, sometimes on TikTok. We're all over the place. Come find us. Don't forget to change your Amazon smile to DNA Doe Project. And one day I will. All right. I love you. Grant, I'll call I'm you soon. Gonna kill you and then put you on an episode <laughs> of our podcast. <laughs> You'll have exclusive rights. Yeah. I'll solve it too. My theory will be right. <laughs> all right. Love you. All right. I love you. Love you Bye. too.